This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Friday, 10th of February, 2023. We have equity markets in a negative mood yesterday, rolling over and importantly, rolling over and down through the key levels we've been talking about that were broken on the way up in the cash index around the 4,100 level. And we're even below that level on the future, which is a few points higher uh, for fair value. So uh, an interesting setup here going into today, technically, as we have the first uh, key sort of uh, support level broken. Some bigger ones coming into view, though, down to the downside uh, on slide uh, two. You can see that in today's slide deck. There's a rising moving average, uh, or sorry, a rising trend line and the 200-day moving average sort of converging pretty soon uh, around the 4,000 level. If, if that ticks up a little bit, it's actually a little bit below the 4,000 level, the 200-day. Um, but a pretty weak session. If you look over at the NASDAQ 100, it has a little bit more of wood to chop uh, to get through those first key uh, levels. But if you look at the cash index, around 12,000, where it's also uh, the that 200-day moving average is, is far closer uh, because it was um, – um, it was broken. It was a level as far closer on the way up as well. So interesting uh, times here at pivotal levels. There was a U.S. Uh, Treasury auction, a T-bond auction yesterday that was a bit weak. So we had yields popping back uh, quite a bit higher after they were settling lower earlier in the day, a bit of a surprise. And I guess that was, you know, the proximate cause that uh, people attribute this move to, Peter. But what's your take here? My take is that we are in a, I think we were in a wait and see mode from the equity market. We, we were offered a whole year's worth of, of gains in just one month in, in the in the broader market. And if you were in the high beta segments of the market that we have talked about, you were offered almost twice the typical annual return in equities in just one month. I think there is some profit taking here. We failed over several attempts to uh, to push about 4,200 and, and close above that, what, which would have cleared potentially some of the, the room to, to test the 43. 100 area in the S&P 500, which was that uh, cyclical high we had back in August last year. We failed to do that. We went below 4,100, as you said. We had a rebound in the U.S. Uh, long end of the yield curve. And you and I had a discussion, John, back and forth yesterday because, uh, you know, a uh, head of uh, equity trading, one of the big uh, pension companies here in Denmark, put out a, a chart on the uh, <clears throat> on Twitter where he compared the forward earnings multiple on the S&P 500 with that of the uh, one-year, one-year swap rate um, in the U.S., so measuring you know, the policy rates, and, and there is he, he was pointing out this disconnect where the market is waking up to okay, you know, that Powell is serious, and uh, there, there might be uh, you know a need here for, for more policy rate hikes, and the, the equity market just like brushed it away. But as I said to you, it's the long end of the yield curve that really matters to the to the equity market because that's the one that is used to discount cash flows. And we haven't really seen a big move. It, it's just going back and forth. So I, the, the way I look at it, it we are here in a, in a situation where, where the bond market has to decide how it's, how it's weighing the different things. You know, what is the growth profile? Do we have a cyclical upturn? Yes. And, and what does that mean for rates and inflation, et cetera? I think that's the key. And if you look at the theme baskets uh, I've put in here on slide two, John, you can see that it, uh, for the months to date, we are uh, we're flat now in the MSI world, and we have sort of a, a divergence uh, with cybersecurity, semiconductors, uh, some of the uh, logistics, some of the physical things, and things tied to um, to you know the um, <clears throat> defense is doing quite well. Um, so that the, at least the digital defense, and then on the on the low point, and this is the shocking thing, and I think it's it's um, I'm happy to, I'm 
curious to hear your views all on, on the energy situation because the energy crisis has not gone away, although prices have come down. And renewable energy stocks, nuclear power, uh, and commodities overall have, is having a very bad month so far. I suppose that part of that is simply just uh, that uh, big collapse we've seen uh, not only in U.S. gas prices but also in Europe, where we are we are back down to levels which are obviously a lot less painful than than they were, and uh, that maybe just takes some of the uh, some of the attention away from these uh, two, I would say, still very important sectors. Yeah, and uh, a very interesting day uh, actually for FX and specifically uh, for the Swedish krona yesterday. And there's a lot going on because we have breaking news this morning. Uh, media reports in Japan pointing to a uh, entirely uh, outside the uh, list of candidates nominee, but uh, lo- it looks like here for the Bank of Japan governor to replace Kuroda when he leaves in early April. Uh, a certain Katsuo Ueda, who is uh, some 71 years old, former Bank of Japan uh, board member, and there's been some hawkish evidence in his past. I think I saw one quote that saw him on the dovish uh, side of, of uh, uh, expectations or or the policy sometime in the back but somebody stretches whose history stretches back quite some time uh and the first the first read here is i, I suppose because it is not amamiya who was considered the the front runner and a dovish candidate and who apparently turned down the offer to do the job uh didn't want to take on that uh mantle i, I guess i can't blame him in this day and age who wants to be a central bank governor when you have these menu options uh before you um that's the first read so we're seeing a, a japan a japanese yen strengthening I'm not sure to what degree it's justified, how much we'll know, but this can trigger its own flows and stop levels. Uh, so we need to respect that. And I think uh, the, the funny kind of the funny thing is, is when dollar yen starts moving, it starts uh, affecting the dollar broadly speaking. So we see, start to see the dollar falling even against uh, currencies that have been weak of late or, and even amidst risk off. I find it uh, very misleading, uh, the impacts through to the dollar, but it is what it is. Um, and the dollar otherwise was rolling over back to the strong side with the risk sentiment tilt lower yesterday. So I think dollar is going to very much be on risk on, risk off with the risk that if, if this Japanese yen gets a bit too uh, flaky here uh, tactically, it can uh, it can warp the dollar picture as indicated. But that aside, the big thing yesterday was the Swedish krona. Look at the chart there on slide three of the euro stocky rate, that one day move there, uh, approximately 3%. Uh, top to bottom, maybe a little bit less than that actually, but top to bottom from the the highs of a few days before that anyway, 3%. Uh, And here is the proximate cause. So as covered live during the podcast yesterday, because the Riksbank decision was uh, unfolding over uh, and during our recording, they they did uh, hike the policy rate 50 basis points, slightly more hawkish guidance. You saw the two-year rate up uh, several basis points, more like 10 basis points actually. Uh, The 10-year was up even a bit more than that at one point on the indication of an accelerated QT program, so uh, accelerating the uh, selling and unwinding of the balance sheet. But the big news was an increase in these so-called Riksbank certificates, which which basically increased the liquidity in the Swedish banking system. And there was a specific reference to that as a aim against foreign speculation in the Swedish krona. Uh, obviously, that's a key risk, driving the inflation levels that we've seen has been so remarkable, above 10% for the core. And that that sort of specific aim, and this is a new governor in town, uh, Mr. Eric Tadian, was really respected by the market. And I think we've really just put a strong floor under the Swedish krona uh, here with this move. Could be some backfilling if we see some uh, tremendous risk off elsewhere. But this looks like something that could follow through to the downside uh, towards the 200-day moving average. You can see it down there, the purple line coming in around 1080 on that chart there on slide three. So just a historic day for the Swedish Krona and this uh, governor uh, sort of impressing with his first move or first meeting 
uh, as governor. Other small news items I just want to point out. Norway's uh, CPI came out this morning and uh, uh, for January, and uh, 6.4% for the underlying versus 6% expected and 5.8% the prior month. You're going to wonder if the Norris Bank is going to consider that, reconsider that pause that they want to get to uh, soon, according to their guidance, and uh, consider rolling out its own message a la this, the, the Swedish Riksbank here. That's a very high underlying inflation number. And then secondarily, and not getting much reaction into the market, uh, is the UK visible trade balance number over $19 billion on the negative side. That requires a lot of offset of inflowing capital to offset a trade balance of that magnitude, a trade shortfall of that magnitude, given QT plans from the Bank of England and all the issuance needed to finance ongoing debts. You have to wonder there uh, on, on sterling. But sterling has been a little bit firmer of late against the euro on the, the ECB's less uh, hawkish stance at the most recent meeting. Finally, and I'm covering, spending a little bit too long on this, is the uh, Central Bank of Mexico, Zabanjico, uh, hiking 50 basis points versus the 25 basis points expected. And rather than indicating a pause, they indicate they want to go another 25 uh, beyond that. So that got a bit of respect from uh, from them overnight with the more hawkish than anticipated move. All right, as uh, we were talking a little bit about energy here, uh, strong dollar, not a, not a big help here for, for crude oil uh, or, or commodities generally. But what are you seeing here in the commodities market as we're heading into the weekend? Well, just uh, we we had a bit of a bounce back uh, this week, especially the energy sector, as we can see in the, uh, the crude oil and Brent basically leading the the table here on on slide four. Uh, we're seeing a bit of weakness coming in today, and I think it just highlights a market which is uh, still stuck in in a market where the, there's a, a surplus of supply, and we're still waiting for a, a robust pickup in demand from from China to uh, to drive prices higher. So uh, so we stick to our guns uh, as we put out in our outlook earlier this week that we, we look for Brent in the 80s here during the first quarters and move to the 90s in the second and beyond. So uh, so that, that definitely remains the, the uh, our, our, our outlook on that front. Elsewhere, the uh, the industrial and precious metals space uh, remain under some some pressure from the from the dollar strength and the worries that the hikes uh, rate hikes in the U.S. will continue, and uh, and that saw precious metal, especially some like gold, uh, well actually more more silver, uh, get under some additional pressure yesterday. So we're we're still in a correction phase there, and just look in the overall market from the helicopter. Look at the Bloomberg Commodities Index at a one-year low. Um, and I'm just using one of the ETF tracking that index, and as you can see from from uh, the run-up we had since 2020, we're still only around that 38.2% retracement of the area of the of that uh, big run-up. So, um, so an important area that we're we're looking at here, whether we are going to find a floor here from where we can bounce, uh, or whether we're going to see some additional weakness in the in the short term. All right, then rolling forward, you've got uh, another natural gas chart. What a remarkable chart! Uh, this was supposed to be the whole choke point. Uh, for energy with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It obviously triggered a massive move. If you look there from from early uh, Q1 into the rise there into $10 per unit in the U.S. And now we're back down, pushing not that far from from two. Just a remarkable slide. And this is, uh, to my mind, uh, the danger here, I guess, will be on the future supply potential with this with this kind of a, a price level, what are your thoughts on natural gas here? Well, you could uh, you you would have thought that uh, prices at this kind of levels would would uh, start to have an impact, negative impact on production. But uh, so far, what we're actually seeing is that uh, so production, and I put in a lot of uh, small charts, and you can see on the uh, on the bottom, you can you can see that uh, the production level, and we're actually up six percent year on year. 
Um, same time, demand is down six percent as well. So uh, that's uh, adding additional gas into into storage. So uh, so that's why we are we are at these uh, very low levels. We had a big drop in uh, weekly inventories uh, reported yesterday from the previous week. That was the cold spell we went through, but uh, already now we're looking for warmer weather over the coming weeks. So uh, so it had a small short term positive impact on the price, and uh, before it it settled a day uh, a week again. So uh, so just simply um, demand is not. Uh, the demand is, is is struggling to keep up with supply at this point, and and the question is obviously, as you said, John, will this these kind of price levels start to have a negative impact on on production, thereby starting to to underpin the prices? But so far, we're not seeing that. All right, and now uh, rolling forward to stocks to watch today, a couple of uh, very compelling stories, especially the Adidas or Adidas. Sorry, my American brain has a hard time wrapping itself around the correct pronunciation here in Europe. Uh, the profit warning there, and uh, a huge hit to that stock, Peter. You know what, John? They they also say Adidas in uh, in Sweden. I learned that uh, the, uh, the the funny way when I was a young kid seeing this uh, Swedish television show where they said Adidas, and I didn't understand <laughs> what they were saying. And my dad had to tell me what what they, what they meant. So it's not only the Americans. Oh, good on you, Sweden. Excuse. Good on you, Sweden. <laughs> yeah, um, Adidas, the uh, the German sports uh, clothing retailer or manufacturer, if you will. Is uh, it came out after the market closed yesterday with an absolutely disastrous outlook for 2023. You could argue, judging from the slide six here on the share price, that a lot of expectation had already been taken out of the stock. So that's also why, you know, despite what they're saying, the reaction is only around 10% uh, down in the, uh, in the on the share price. But they um, they said that the operating uh, loss could be 700 million uh, euros um, this year, 200 million of those from a one-off items. And then 500 million from not selling uh, the remaining GZ inventory. GZ is uh, Yi or Kanye West, as his old name was. Uh, his uh, production line and series. It's a partnership uh, he, ha- he has had with uh, uh, with Adidas for many years. Very successful. And uh, and because of the uh, comments about Jews, that was uh, torn apart. And and now we have this big mess at, at at Adidas. But I think and and then also as you can see here, the the constant currency uh, revenue. For 2023, we expect it to be negative in the high digital. Uh, sorry, in the high single digits. Um, so uh, digit. So it's really, really, really going to be a transition year here. And um, Nike must be uh, must be uh, glad to see their their closest competitor being so weak because it, I think it just adds to the strength in the global market space for for Nike. But I want to highlight two things about Adidas, which is shocking. So the first thing is, yes, if you subtract the 200 million one-off item and the 500 million from not selling the remaining inventory of Yeezy, then or Yeezy, then then you still would have got to a zero in, in operating profit for the year. So something is is wrong on a level that is beyond this uh, this um, so easy this to back partnership. On. Yeah, yeah, the Yeezy, but there's more to it. So the the, the general the Adidas business, there, there are some there are some faults in this business model. I, I don't know what it is, but they need to figure it out fast because uh, Nike is in a very good shape and growing very fast. So they need to and uh, they need to get going with the new CEO that will um, that has already taken over for uh, for Adidas. And then the second thing is that how how can a management has why can why, how can a management had allowed uh, one partnership to be so dominant? In terms of the overall operating profit, it it, it really is. Uh, they have created a very fragile business model. Anyway, long spiel on uh, on Adidas. Before we talk PayPal, 
some news I've got in that I I didn't have on uh, on my hands before we uh, we wrote the uh, the slide deck or did the slide deck, and that is that a, a pretty significant shareholder in uh, Russia. So Russia being uh, one of Europe's largest pharmaceutical companies, one of the big uh, constituents in in equity markets here in Europe and especially the Swiss market because it's a Swiss company. Uh, a shareholder is planning to sell 2.5% stake of voting shares in the company and. Um, According to Bloomberg, the uh, the share price was down as much as eight percent because uh, it's such a big block trade that it potentially it's 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 sending some signals about the the near term outlook. You can do your own interpretation, read into it if you if you're a shareholder of Russia or you or, or you are you know looking for new opportunities. It's a uh, it's a big move for such a stable company. And then PayPal reported the Q4 volume that missed estimates after the US market closed yesterday, uh, but they had a beating on the earnings per share, so that was okay. The Q1 outlook looks okay, above estimates both on earnings and, and revenue, and the CEO, Dan Schulman, is retiring by the end of the year. The shares were down 2% in extended trading. We already know that the payments industry has been weak. We have seen that from, from Visa, MasterCard, ADN the other day here in Europe, we talked about that, and, and now PayPal. So I think that's one of the reasons why the market is not uh, reacting a lot to PayPal. A lot of it were already anticipated. All right. That will take us to the earnings to watch. I see you've populated the calendar for next week. I don't know if you want to discuss those two names you have for, for today as well. But it looks like just looking at the list of companies, still some interesting stories out there. But clearly, I suppose after next week, we're, we're starting to wind down quite considerably for this earnings season. Yes, that's correct, John. And this The next week will be one of the last uh, high-octane weeks for uh, for this Q4 earnings season, and then we we will begin to to taper off. Um, today's earnings not very interesting. Uh, you could you could watch out if you're really interested in the global energy sector uh, from a Canadian North American perspective. Enbridge is a is a distributor, pipelines, etc. So um, to watch that. On Monday, Solar Edge Palantir, the key ones to watch. Tuesday, I'm really looking forward to Airbnb as a sort of a gauge of travel and leisure activity globally. Global foundries and semiconductors. Wednesday, Glencore, super interesting from the commodities perspective, being one of the largest diversified miners in the world. We have Shopify, a good uh, temperature on global e-commerce, I think. Nutrin on fertilizer. Kraft Heinz on uh, consumer demand. Thursday, Airbus and Snyder Electric, two very large and important industrial companies here out of Europe. Nestle on the consumer side and applied materials in the U.S. on Thursday from providing a bit more insight into semiconductors, which is uh, roaring uh, this year. And then Friday, we'll close the week off with Allianz and Mercedes-Benz in Germany and then Deere, which I find interesting. Uh, uh, you know, one thing is it's a very interesting company that is transitioning away from just selling hardware to also integrate software and, and data analytics, but then also because the agriculture industry is super important. Okay, and then on the macro calendar, rolling forward to slide eight, we have a couple of interesting items. The Canadian jobs report could be uh, compelling there if you see some hot numbers a la the USA, given that the Bank of Canada has, has sort of parked itself in pause mode here. Uh, could it challenge that indication? When you've seen also something like Sweden clearly unsettled by its latest CPI figures. We have that. We have a couple of Fed speakers. I don't think these are particularly important. We know what the Fed has to say. Next week, a couple of items we need to watch here. That January CPI, really critical because, uh, first of all, to confirm whether CPI data is fading and continues to fade. I think it has and, and will do in general as the focus is more on cyclical measures of economic strength. And that leads us to the Wednesday, January retail sales number. But the interesting thing for that uh, Tuesday CPI release being it's the first release under the new methodology, could it undershoot and will the market care? So the interesting thing would be 
if the new methodology creates a, a surprisingly soft CPI print, especially if you if you get a, a bigger turn in this owner equivalent rent, which is badly lagging and should be far lower than it is anyway. Uh, and if so, if the market shrugs its shoulders, says, you know what, actually, we don't really care. We're, we're more forward looking and, and looking at um, what's going on in, <clears throat> in terms of the tight jobs market and, and risk of a reset acceleration here and we're more worried about rates. I don't know. I just uh, will find it. I think it will be a, a, a release worth watching next week. And you can see all the other bits and pieces uh, as well. Um, and yeah, on the longer term events, putting up that Bank of Japan meeting, it's not as important as it was, as it's going to all be all about the signals from this uh, new person who's been nominated. I assume he will be approved, Katsuo Ueda. And uh, yeah, today, this news coming just ahead of the weekend is perhaps a little bit uncomfortable for traders. So some volatility in the FX market could be, could be uh, on tap here ahead of the weekend. When you do get there, have a great weekend. And we'll be back next week with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>